0: Welcome to Tea Time with the Witch Next Door. My name is Tasia. My pronouns are she, her.
1: My name is Kaylee. My pronouns are she, they. What tea
0: are you drinking today?
1: I brought two teas today. Some loose leaf blueberry, which is delicious. And then my usual peppermint because I just, I don't know. I feel like I just need it. It's very much like a association now with whenever we hop on not, not just the times that we've been doing the podcast, but like pretty much every time I've ever video chatted with you, I have a cup of uh, peppermint tea.
0: I'm, a, I'm your peppermint tea friend. <laughs> yeah. What, what are you drinking? I am drinking a tea called Forever Nuts. <laughs> <laughs> it's from David's Tea. It's a tea company in Canada. Uh, my ex introduced me to it but it's, it has nuts in it and it's, it's really, really delicious. It's unsurprisingly, it's nutty, Um, (laughs) but it has like this pink color when it's steeped.
1: That's really nice. I've never had um, nut tea. Yeah. (laughs) Trust me. uh, That was a
0: topic of endless jokes. Endless.
1: I, I, yes, I won't Um,
0: start. I mean, I'll start.
1: (laughs) I doubt I can add anything to what uh, you've already explored.
0: mostly the running joke of like, I really want some of your sweet uh, hot nut tea. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just so, (laughs) that's all. I feel like I've aged into innuendo and puns in a way. I used to like try and be above that because I thought I was more mature. I don't think I ever thought I was too mature for innuendos. I just I never truly was. I wanted to fancy myself a serious person.
0: <laughs> life is in my opinion more interesting when I take myself less seriously, so yeah. I am glad that I, I am I am glad that my comfort in that has only increased as I've gotten older. And makes it makes life a little bit more bearable sometimes. I always find it very funny because, especially in my professional life, I am much more reserved of a person. (laughs) Uh, And even when I've had like friends or um, partners meet me for the first time, I don't give off the energy of someone who uses the word fuck 10 (laughs) times in a sentence. But boy, once I get going, they're like, I did not realize you had this in you. I thought you were a much more like reserved person. I'm like, oh, just wait. just wait until we start talking about kinks
1: (laughs) 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 and (laughs) nutty it's so I think that's such a fascinating I want to say dichotomy but I'm not sure that that's the right word of like how people experience you and what you know of yourself and then kind of the ways that your true nature bumps up against their experience I've had the same thing with I don't especially have like a super potty mouth but I was in a yoga community where like cussing was pretty normal from the teachers in class it wasn't something that it was like part of our culture and I was told by some of my fellow teachers that it just didn't sound right when I swore (laughs) (laughs) it's like who do you think I am like I such a strange thing to say right and I was like like i I took it in stride, you know, but at the same time, I was like, ooh, that's, this is one of those ways that we project onto others and don't let them be who they are.
0: Were they meaning it in a way that they were trying to give you feedback of, like, if you're trying to be something you're not, you don't have to be because it sounds wrong? Or was it just more of, like, a surprise? So, like, I wasn't expecting
1: that. I think, I think it was the... First, but I think that that is also like that. That wasn't true for me. I wasn't like oh, trying sure. hard to be a tough chick or something. Yeah, I just am not as sugary sweet, nice as people think I am or want me to be. Like I, I am a yeah. very kind and compassionate person, and <laughs> I definitely have some hard edges. And to not be allowed to be—you you mean you're human, Kaylee? <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, and I think that's—I think that was ultimately one of the things that was really hard for me about teaching was feeling kind of like this confusion of people wanting you to be somehow better than, but also oh. not wanting you to like have that. But it was—it's a very confusing okay. dynamic. You're I know not, that we ha- yeah.
0: I know that we have a topic for this episode yeah. actually, but I really oh, want to have we? this conversation because that has that was something that I felt very intensely when I started teaching. So I am very curious about your experience with this. About oh, the yeah, pressures sure- of like having to pr- to present a certain way. And like my experience of it was this fixation on Quote, unquote authenticity to mm-hmm. the point where your authenticity gets questioned because other people are assuming <laughs> things about how you should be presenting yourself so yes.
1: other people know your authentic self better than you don't you yes yeah obviously yes because <laughs> who because who could possibly know your authentic self better than
0: anyone but you when did you first notice that kind of dynamic? Is it, was it, is it specifically when you were teaching in the yoga space? Or did you also feel that just as like a practitioner student, a, a part of the community?
1: I did not feel it as a student, really.
0: What were the specific things that you noticed were things that got brought up as like, oh, that's not you or like some sort of pressure to fit a certain mold of who Kaylee was, according to these other folks?
1: I think there was always this conversation about just being yourself, which is the hardest thing in the world to do.
0: Uh, I am laughing, but I'm crying on the inside.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not bad advice. It's not wrong feedback to give someone like, we just really want you to be yourself. Like we want to hear from you. You can speak from the heart, blah, 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 blah. I think the, the one thing that stands out the most is actually an example when somebody was right. It wasn't a Baptiste studio, but it was modeled after Baron Baptiste. And he has a lot of aphorisms and little sayings that pull from all kinds of new age spirituality. And we would, and and probably a blend of new age spirituality and like group fitness motivation. <laughs> you can do it. That kind of thing. Uh, and so one student came up to me after class, and I think she was trying really hard to be nice and to say, like, hey, I think you're a good teacher. And I heard these same cliches that I hear from everyone's class at this studio. And I think she was right.
0: I think that's a special moment. I, I'm, you know, outsider looking in, kind of proud of that student being like, hey. <laughs> I've heard these things a lot. They don't really mean anything to me.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. They don't mean anything anymore. Yeah. It's better I, for you to just not talk than say <laughs> a platitude that I've heard 300 times in this room. When you were talking about
0: the, the whole be yourself feedback, I remember that so often coming up in teacher training. And then like, I, I, I taught for a for a much shorter period than you have taught, obviously. But for the year and a half-ish to two years that I did teach, especially earlier on, that came up a lot. Not Other trainees also would receive that. and Other teachers would also receive that. But it came to be like a source of kind of taking a hit to my self-esteem when you were constantly being questioned to how authentic you are. And I think for me as a shy introvert, having been a shy introvert, especially as a kid, and having misconceptions about who you are from other people, like people assuming that you're snobby or people assuming Mm -hmm. that you're mean because you're shy and socially awkward Mm -hmm. or anxious. Mm -hmm. That's Um,
1: resonating for me, yep.
0: And like this pressure of like, just be yourself. You're not like, or like, you know, the voice that you're using when you're teaching isn't your voice. But I'm like, I... I don't know how you're, you're constantly being told to be yourself in that moment, but there's no, I never, I don't, I never remember sh- receiving good advice or guidance for finding that voice. And I, I think about this in kind of relation to writing and finding your voice and style as an author. This has been talked about in writing communities as well of like when you're first starting out, What you'll probably do is mimic the voices and styles of the people that you admire. That's very, very normal, but that's also, it can be an important part in your learning process because you have to be able to experiment and try things on and like dress up a little bit and try these different characters until you can figure out how to like, those are your training wheels. And then eventually you need to start working on, what your voice is and what your perspective is but for a lot of folks just like jumping into a teaching role and and especially teaching yoga when there are scripts that you essentially follow you know depending on what kind of yoga that you're teaching you know there are certain poses that typically come after you know, certain things, there's certain ways that you're taught to hold space, or to speak to transitions or to things to say in like certain moments to like, to bring up maybe some like emotional, like, uh, release for folks, if that's what they're kind of needing in the moment. And we learn by mimicking, like even babies do that. <laughs> they learn by watching uh, the, yeah. the people around them. So I think that, in reflecting back on my experience in teacher training, there wasn't enough time or grace given to that transitionary period that some folks need. Uh, yes, they are not going to sound like themselves as they would be talking to a friend because it's a very different alien situation. The only reference that we have is what other people have modeled. And also, some of us are anxious. Some of us are very socially anxious, <laughs> and so we have to mask. And all of those things combined in one big bubble, and then you just have, you know, mentors telling you, well, just be yourself. And I'm like, I don't know who I am yet in this space.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Like myself is not yet a seasoned yoga teacher, for this example. Yeah, I think it. The only thing that helped me, I think you're nailing something that's always been important for me to be mindful of is that it's a process and it's a journey and you're not Uh educated in it as if it is you're educated in it or the feedback that I received was very much like you're doing it this way, do it this way. There's no bridge built between those two ways, right? So if you're going to figure out how to do something, Authentically, you have to start somewhere and that process isn't going to be like off on. It's not a light switch. But what did help was a teacher suggesting when I couldn't hear that I was being a little bit yoga teachery, like ethereal, blah, blah, blah. He said, go harder in the direction of that sing-songy voice. Like oh. push yourself into the space of... Breathing in and breathing out. As soon as I got myself to like move farther down that pathway, I was like, oh God, no, let's walk away from that. But I had to like dig in a little bit deeper so that I could Uh hear it and feel like what that felt like. Because I think another point that you made that's really important is if you do have some social anxiety, you do have to mask to some extent. Uh Like to get through a challenging new role in that position. We were just watching, I can't remember her name. She's on SNL and she plays Hillary Clinton. And Kevin and I were watching her on a show with David Chang. They went to Cambodia and she doesn't. I've seen this episode. <laughs> okay. I, I, I know I exactly she, what you're talking about. <laughs> I think she's fabulous. I really, Kevin and I were both like, I want to be her friend, right? You want to be her uh-huh. Like totally want to be her friend but we were going back and forth about like, is this like real her or can, is she so used to being a certain way? Like when she's on screen that she can't drop some of that. Like, so, so I'm doing the thing of questioning someone else's authenticity, right? Like, and being like, that's not your real voice. I don't, but then I, I did walk it back
0: a little bit and I was like, maybe it is her
1: real voice. What do I know?
0: The thing that I'm just realizing is I think that we, really fixate on this whole idea of be yourself when, when we really mean is be comfortable mm. because,
1: mm-hmm. oh my because God. like it,
0: it is impossible for me to not be myself because even when I am like the most anxious and like not behaving in the way that like my friends and family would recognize as a, as a quote unquote normal Tasia way of being, it's probably because I'm very uncomfortable and I'm either masking or just you know, trying to figure out like how to extract myself from a situation or just trying to cope with something new. I'm just realizing that when we mean be yourself, we mean be comfortable and how ableist that is. <laughs> wow.
1: And, I think you got to pause of- for a second. I need that to sink in. That's <laughs> huge. When we say be yourself, sometimes what we really mean is I need you to be more comfortable. Holy smokes. Yeah. Like, I can't be comfortable. Like, and this is absolutely as a student in a yoga class. So the feedback, if you pull back a couple layers, perhaps is like, hey, my experience as a student isn't as comfortable if I don't perceive that you as a teacher are comfortable. So you need to be yeah. more comfortable so that I can be more comfortable, which isn't wrong. You're in a service role yep. as a teacher. But wow, that is a dot that I did never connect to. The authentic dot was... Wow. Well, it, OK,
0: it, it, especially from like the teacher training or like mentorship perspective of how really deeply unhelpful the advice of just be yourself is, because basically you're asking me to just calm down. And I'm like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> fuck off. I'm not comfortable right now. I'm I am faking being out. calm as yes. well as I possibly can. God damn it. Yeah. And, and
0: sometimes that's a necessary part of the process. And like honoring that I think is really important. Wow. and man, if I'm gonna have to catch myself, if I ever try and give that advice again, because I'm realizing how I mean, like from from that, like you said, from that student's perspective, I think that that's, in some ways, very fair feedback, being a student, and you know, you need a teacher who is confident and comfortable in what they are presenting to you. And I, you know, and I've been in classes where I have picked up, I mean, not just for yoga, but just like for anything, like you can tell when someone is not really comfortable, either with the presenting or with like the material, like there's something there's something missing that's, they're not really sitting and grounding and grounded in it. And
1: you feel nervous for them. I mean, I've even, I watched, I went to a friend's stand up, and she did fabulous because she's fabulous. Uh, not that she wouldn't be fabulous if she didn't do fabulous, but she did a great job. But uh-huh. I was, like, very nervous on her behalf because I could see and sense her nervousness because it's a uh-huh. big – like, these are big things. And I think, yeah, even watching TED Talks sometimes, you can see that the person giving the talk is, like, quit at ease. This is a big – this is maybe the biggest uh-huh. moment of their career yet, like uh-huh. –
0: yeah. I, mm. I also want to like, you know, call out to that, too, of an, an extension to, you know, neurodivergent folks who have to mask uh, in, in many situations in order to be, you know, either accepted or to, to quote unquote pass or, you know, black folks or BIPOC folks who code switch. Right. Um, depending on the kind of situations that they're into. So, you know, the whole the whole, the whole being yourself is very, like, situation specific. But also has a lot to do with how comfortable you are, um, and like the the language that you use. And
1: there's like a huge risk factor to being yourself because it is very vulnerable, and mm-hmm. there is a chance that if I am myself, I won't be enough for a group of people, or I'll be too much for a group mm-hmm. of people, or or I if you
0: are you know, disabled or neurodivergent, mm-hmm. maybe not masking will put you at greater risk for something, you know, maybe that will put you at a risk for violence um, or social alienation. Um, same thing for folks who have to code switch. Um, exactly. I mean, it's a relationally a privilege to be with someone who is comfortable <laughs> around you <laughs> uh, for a lot of different reasons.
1: Um, what do you th- Let's say, for example, you could guarantee that somebody is uncomfortable and you have the instinct to encourage them to just be themselves. What do you think would be a more helpful approach? Oh,
0: man. Again, I think that's it's so situational because you yeah. know I, I can th- I can think to maybe a conversation with a black coworker. Who is obviously code switching to have a conversation with me, versus you know something that I overhear like maybe they're on the phone with a with a friend or something or outside of work, uh, versus you know me being in a you know going back in time to my uh, yoga teacher training of what would have been more helpful feedback for me. Um, I think it has a lot to do with the kind of relationship you have with the person, just maybe just like an internal acknowledgement of you know, this person either isn't as comfortable around me for the specific thing. And that's okay. Like, I don't need, I don't have to force that. (laughs) I don't have to force them to be comfortable. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: And to force a relationship that maybe they don't want, they don't want to have. But if it is something like a, you know, a a mentor mentee relationship, or, you know, that you are close friends with somebody, I guess I'll focus more specifically, like, uh, if I could go back in time and be in that teacher training or like, you know, a a role reversal of, you know, if I was training myself, being honest with myself, with my own expectations for why I am giving this feedback in the first place, Mm -hmm. um, is this person ready to push themselves beyond the mimic phase of learning a new thing? And do they need to just, do they need to get more comfortable with the technical aspects and the, like the public speaking (laughs) and social aspects of teaching that they need to experiment with different kinds of things? Uh, I think like in your example with the teacher that was like, if you hear yourself kind of doing that yoga teacher voice, really lean into it. I think really specific feedback like that is really helpful. Because like, here's the specific thing that I'm noticing that you're doing that maybe is coming off a little distracting. I mean, sometimes awkward. Um,
1: here's <laughs> Definitely, some advice. I'm sure it was awkward from me. Yeah.
0: Here's some advice for a specific thing that you can do to be more aware of it when it happens in the moment. And then notice how you feel <laughs> when you do that. Does it feel weird? I think invitations for more internal like investigation or very compassionate, full of grace, curiosity. We have to kind of do things unconsciously in order to learn new skills. And then once we get comfortable with the basics, then I think that's a good opportunity to start noticing the nuances of how we're doing a thing. Like craftsman skill, if you Mm. learn the basics and they're not very refined, if like you're doing a wood carving, you're not gonna have the skill set to really be nuanced and detailed in your work until you have more basic practice. And then you can discover like how you can do certain things in a different way, or if you have like a specific style that you like, but you still have to learn the basics first. Or like learning how to play music. Like you mm. practice or even even when I was in art school, we would we would practice painting famous paintings right that of of famous painters to try and get a feel for the breaststrokes and the colors and the composition and once you have that tool set then you can start to you know to to pull out and pick specific things and explore what you want to do and then you can have different kinds of critiques and different kinds of criticism constructive criticism for what your voice is and kinds of things that you want to focus on and the the kind of teacher that you want to be I think for me that transition happened way too fast uh in teacher training I think that fixation on being yourself mentally we think of it as a switch rather than a slow peeling back that's situational
1: totally I think that is a really pretty full response the only thing that I could think to add like if we want people to be authentic and to feel more comfortable I think they have to feel safe and they have to feel like they belong or like they're welcome and it might not work for everyone but there's like a a joke about like how do how do you make friends with an introvert and it's just like enthusiastically like tell them how much you like them <laughs> and it it's as an introvert like this is how a lot of my friendships have unfolded it's like someone is like hey I really think you're great like let's hang out almost like I think there's like a little bit of like a companionate energy I think of like a, a, uh-huh. a puppy or a dog like uh-huh. I like you I like you I like you uh-huh. I want to be around you like <laughs> And I guess it could be annoying to some folks. And sometimes it is if there's not a share, a mutual like affinity. But I think that there is something that was another thing that the same teacher, such a problematic human, but also a really cool guy. (laughs) So all of us are like these mixed bags. Right. But one of the things that he said was like, Hey, you already made the team like you belong here Uh you're not auditioning for a spot like you are here we want you here Uh (laughs) and to have that reminder of like every time you know in this example we're talking about teaching yoga but every time I was teaching I think I was feeling like I was interviewing or being assessed and I was kind of but it wasn't the stakes that I was giving it like I was already part of this studio's staff so Mm -hmm. for me to come into each class and be like are they going to want me here like and he was like you it's we're past that point you know so you have to start to feel that but I don't know how to make people feel that if they don't feel safe in whatever community or culture we're talking about you know, and this goes, this goes so much bigger than teaching yoga into these realms of like ethnicity and sexuality and different orientations, and professional culture, like Uh the gatekeeping that you see around some of that and to make people feel, to, to find ways to create a sense of belonging and safety Uh in those cultures. I think ultimately a shift like that will make the personal work of being yourself a lot uh-huh. more possible.
0: I absolutely agree. It's, it, was, it was interesting as you were talking about the puppy feeling of like, you know, coming <laughs> up to someone and saying, I, I really like you, I think you're great. For me, I, I really feel and approach social situations much more like a cat. It takes me a lot longer, but also like really, I am very hit or miss sometimes with really assertive attention. And for me to feel safe, like I, I need to kind of like scope the the space out a little bit to kind of to get my own sense of something, because I'm also part of my, my social anxiety and uh, need for safety comes into, I don't necessarily always trust what people say or their first impressions. I'm someone who really prefers to kind of watch and see how words and actions line up for a while before I can get a really good judge of character. Like, obviously there are certain people that we just click with, right? And certain social social the social situations uh, where if there's it's a character, kind of, I know, a, a charismatic <laughs> extrovert, like I can get along very socially just fine with that. But in terms of like feeling safe in a community, I'm a very slow burn. I'm very much of just like, we'll see. Uh, i need to i need to see what the actions are first um, which will
1: protect you probably from ever ending up as a member of a cult so. <laughs> i feel like stay. i don't know how That's i've managed true. to avoid it because man if so- if someone comes on strong and is persistent enough all right fine <laughs> yeah i think i think the only other thing that i would add
0: is when we are in a situation with Another person, you know, assuming that it is a relationship where it would be appropriate to offer some advice or to say, you know, hey, it's okay to be yourself." In that moment, just checking in with our expectations for mm-hmm. why it's important for us to tell this person to be themselves. Is it a we want to make sure that they feel safe and comfortable? Um, if like, if they're, if they haven't sussed out the community or the situation, like, are they needing reassurance? Is it something that like, we're uncomfortable with and their discomfort is making us uncomfortable and needing to really make sure that I'm not crossing a boundary by wanting someone else to be okay. So I'm okay.
1: Right, right, right. right. Um,
0: but also along with those expectations of, is it an appropriate time to be having this conversation? Like is mm-hmm. is that, you know, is that where we are, <laughs> either in the midst of the training, where this person is at on their their learning journey and, and and learning something new? When you were talking about feeling safe, I was suddenly struck with the thought that, uh, similar to like love languages, and I think another one that I've seen in the last couple of years, I should find the link for it because it was actually really helpful um, was conflict. Languages of like oh, how do you how do you need to resolve conflict? Um, but I think like safety languages are also very real. Hmm. The different ways that we need reassurance to feel that we are safe and that we belong in a community.
1: It really reminds me of Dr. Brene Brown's work um with vulnerability and mm-hmm. boundaries and mm-hmm your story and who has a right to your story mm-hmm. almost like who has a right to your authentic self if these people can't guarantee you that they're going to accept your authentic self then mm-hmm. i don't know if they have any right to it
0: right well, like and, yeah. and accept and protect that i mean i think i as an example that difference of everyone is welcome here versus you know this space was built for you in mind I definitely did not come up with that. That's something that I've seen around a lot. Um, But just that difference of not only are you accepted, but that, you know, who you are will be protected and
1: uplifted. And that's, I think that goes so far, but it's definitely like a higher level kind of community organization. If you see places like that, at least these days, I feel like it's become... I don't know. I'm thinking about even like when I traveled to um, Southeast Asia and there was homelessness, but it was really interesting. Like I spoke with some of the locals and they saw the local homelessness as something that they all needed to come together around. And Uh so many big cities were built in different ways than they are here in the states, they were built in like more contained sections and the people who were in what like they would they would take care of a couple homeless people in each village that was like part of that village's responsibility um and it was it was just really interesting to me i know what we're experiencing in america has been generations in creation in terms of homelessness oh i'm i need to remember to say sometimes unhoused people i'm always working on my language and i'm not always getting it right but i just think about like in terms of spaces being built for everyone in a community and how maybe our kind of like hyper individualism as a value (laughs) is this is one of the places where we might be kind of shooting ourselves in the feet. I think that the sense of
0: individ- individualization. Uh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> Gosh,
1: yeah, that, word. that just, word. Just,
0: just roll that with it. That word. We're gonna just keep going. Mm-hmm. That word that has a lot of syllables. It is what it is. Obviously, there's also the aspect of just psychologically, there's only so many things we can focus on at once in terms of problems and things that you know need our attention. Not things that need our care. But I think that our culture has such a this is mine attitude that inherently works to dehumanize other people, especially if they need something. Because yeah. when we are so focused on this is mine, I think that that also as an extension means I have to protect what's mine. It's very troubling is such a understatement and not the right word <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's really horrifying when we lived in a we were house sitting for a family friend for a long time a few years ago and there was someone who was going around uh looking for signatures for a petition to try and stop a homeless shelter from being built mm-hmm. nearby and it really just hits home again and again how this quote-unquote problem is treated as we just want it out of sight, out of mind. It's like, sure, it's a problem, but I don't want it in my neighborhood. Yeah. You know, all of of the infrastructure changes of the the dividers between benches, like the spikes under the overpass of like, we're not going to, we're going to spend so much money to just keep moving these people along (laughs) and not solve the problem in the first place.
1: Totally, totally. It really, I don't know, it's interesting the way that my brain connects different things. It's making me think of um, like child development and Eric Erickson's stages of psychosocial development. And I don't remember the ages that they're broken down by, but it's, we're not in like a collective stage. We're in like, you know, my identity versus like, like yeah. the stage that kids go through when they differentiate from their parents but they're not totally syncing up with the community yet they're still trying to find like their own sense of autonomy and and know who they are right which is the only way that you're going to be able to be yourself is knowing a little bit about who you are but they haven't moved back into something that's a little bit more collective in nature and I think that it's interesting like you can't like force a collective identity on on a group of people. It has to very much like this, knowing yourself and being able to be yourself. It has to happen gradually. But I see us actively working against it in so many ways.
0: I, I am not knowledgeable enough, wise enough, experienced enough to have any good ideas. Nor am I, sadly. For that <laughs> uh, I, yeah.
1: <laughs> I just don't know. I mean, I think like it's maybe a combination of policy, but also I was listening to uh Ezra Klein interviewing I forget the guy's name, but they were talking about policy runs downstream from culture and one of them said like I think it was Ezra Klein was like I don't quite agree with that analogy, I think policy and culture are much more dynamic. It's not that, that one is begetting the other. It's a dynamic relationship. Uh-huh. So policy change can positively or negatively impact culture and vice versa. It's Absolutely. not just a one directional thing. So I'm not saying like policy is not the answer. There's a lot of answers there. Uh, we're seeing them go the wrong way of the way I would like them answered right now. <laughs> and I I know that I texted you, I think
0: a day or two after the, um, the leak had occurred. And I was just like, I am so anxious. <laughs> like, I feel unwell. <laughs> I am so anxious yeah, and just yeah. have to like, ground myself because it's so easy. And it's, you know, not just for how that change would impact me personally, and for the individuals that I know, but just knowing from my place of privilege, all of the horrors that will happen for people who have less privilege than I do.
1: That are happening. That
0: are happening, that, that have happened before are happening now, and will just continue to get worse. And it's it, the varying degrees of, of horror and rage <laughs> for not just myself, but for every single person who can get pregnant
1: what will happen to them
0: especially in the states where just legislation is just like flying through (laughs) it's
1: yeah i have Uh, to like stop and take deep breaths it's incredibly ironic to me that we're also currently in a baby formula shortage right now oh my god idea that (laughs) people are being the people who know i don't have the means to become a parent right now, whether for any type of means, psychological, financial, whatever that we're, it's so difficult for me to, to even form a thought about this because I am highly emotional around it. Yeah. Um, I hear you. mm, Yeah. And I, I want to get better at speaking about it because I think it's important. I had a conversation with my husband and he, um, (laughs) <laughs> he was wrong. He basically said, hey, this is like, he's very gendered. This is like not something that he thinks about yet. He was like, this is kind of like up to women. Like you guys have got to figure this out. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, did, no. I did kind of like, I'm really proud that I was able to like stay calm, but I did uh, set him straight a little bit about how that's not actually how I'm change works. Deeply- deeply incorrect that is. Incorrect. I mean, yes, we can all agree that Amy Coney Barrett and the like of her are some of the most heinous people. I am always feel a different level of betrayal from somebody who she's experienced pregnancy multiple times. Like I I mean I, like internalized misogyny. Whoa. Is yeah.
0: Just collateral damage upon collateral damage upon collateral it's so damage. So
1: bad because then it's used as rationale for yes. misogyny not being misogyny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Like it couldn't, yep. po- you, you, that couldn't pop, she couldn't possibly be sexist because she's yes. a she. And that's why it's, it is
0: so crucial that, you know, as a white collective, um, as, you know, male collectives mm-hmm. or cis-, cis male collectives, that folks start having more conversations about the systemic problem and not individuals. (laughs) Because it's not about this specific woman who has these specific opinions. It's about all of us being brought up in a very misogynistic, white supremacist, ableist culture that upholds certain values. Yeah, Anyone can fall prey to that mindset,
1: including cis women. (laughs) I'm definitely new to that unlearning personally. I I had, and I still struggle not to create a hierarchy that I have very much failed to come anywhere near the top of that is a part of male white supremacy culture. This idea like as a kid, I definitely identified as like a princess or like a power, power figure woman, like, uh-huh. right? Like it was. I didn't have any other kind of construct of what I could be. Those were two things that were seen as valuable that I in, that I internalized as valuable. Like, you be the first female CEO of a pharmaceutical company. That's the way to do it. Or you be a princess. <laughs> like, <laughs> whoa. Can we
0: have more choices, please? Oh my God, yes. And it's the archetypes that we learn and also the expectations that Mm. come along with that. It's not necessarily like male gaze, but like patriarchal gaze of the choices that, you know, people who are socialized as women, trans women, these boxes that we have to put ourselves into and thinking about like, Who put those boxes there and what our actual choice and desires are. I mean, that's partly why I love being queer so much. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) I
0: love queer theory so much because it is so about just taking the archetypes and turning them on their head and choosing the thing that you want just for the sake that you want it and just for the sake that that is who you are. Just reclaiming joy <laughs> and reclaiming identity in a way that feels untouched. Yeah, you know, it's it's not untouched, but it feels untouched. And as, actually, as a great uh, segue, uh, that's also why I love witchcraft. <laughs>
1: Well done. An hour later. <laughs> I know. An hour later.
0: I know. But it is but it is like witchcraft is one of those things I really love for. It's such a absolute fuck you to the patriarchy.
1: Yeah. Um, always has been too.
0: Always has been. And I think that queering uh, that witchcraft is still very important. Having it be intersectional is still very important. But I love that it's always been a fuck you to the patriarchy. So since it is the full moon and it's, I think it's the flower full
1: moon today, what are your plans? So I think, you know, when we had, when you had thrown this idea at me, I love it. I'm thinking about the last few rituals that I've done and how I am in, this is a theme. I am in a process with this. I don't have a set protocol that I go to right now I'm still really experimenting and exploring and going with where my head's at because sometimes before we started recording I was saying how important it is to like be present and centered for me if I am doing any kind of spell work it just doesn't work out very well if I'm not present if my mind's really wandering and so we had a full moon a couple months ago that I just couldn't drop in, and uh-huh. it was fine. I did a little bit of very gentle movement. I lit some candles. I tried to do the tried to do the things, tried to go through the motions, and then like the spell work just didn't it didn't happen because I wasn't in the space for it, and that's okay. A couple things that really do seem to be consistent for me. I, I'm normally a day person, but I like to do my moon work. In the evening. I like a certain space in my house. I like to gather a few things. I'll look for a flower because it's the flower moon, like something that coincides with the moon. When we're talking about the full moon, for me, it's very much about illumination and gratitude and sometimes letting go, right? Because if we're at like that peak of the, the full moon, the energy moving from there is about releasing and letting go. And I think I probably need to spend about a year's worth of full moons on releasing some stuff. So that can, that can always be a theme for me. I really like doing a very simple tarot poll. If I want to do any journaling i found, thank you Tasia for my amazing tarot deck. I found it really helpful to have not just a prompt, A prompt is great, but then also a card. I just feel like it's much easier to corral my thoughts and Mm -hmm. to put a little bit of trust in whatever that randomness is that you draw Uh a card and connect those dots for yourself. I don't know. I think because it's an eclipse, I really think sometimes this kind of work, like witchcraft is just about being present to the natural world. And so Even if it's not some cool spell work, which I'm down for, but I'm not always, it doesn't always come together for me. Making a point to let myself sit in that space of awe with the, just like this idea, you know, like every, I don't know enough about um, astronomy, but when the moon is full, the earth is between the sun and the moon. So the, like thinking just thinking about like how the celestial bodies are organizing themselves. When the moon is new, it's between the sun and the earth. So we can't see it. And just like the fact that things are spinning around in orbits, like in these huge, huge patterns, and we're a part of it is really awe-inspiring to me. I think about the scene from Contact where Jody Foster like realizes that the only thing that's holding her on the planet is gravity. And she's like a little girl and she connects these dots and she like is outside at night and she's like grabbing onto the grass because she doesn't want to fly off of the planet. Yeah. Just, I just think the same kind of awe that I can find when I'm looking at like a little tiny flower and you see all of those little tiny details, a little stamen, or maybe it like has some really beautiful beautiful, tiny pattern of coloring right like it just there's so much to marvel at and to sit in that and there's there's like a a huge level of magic just essentially unfolding and inherent in everything as it is right now like everything
0: i resonate with that so much one of my favorite experiences is when you simultaneously feel incredibly tiny and small in comparison to the universe, but also enormous (laughs) and-
1: Because you're a part of it. And
0: physical because of all of the things that are even smaller than I am. Being a part of that is deeply humbling and comforting to me. When I get overwhelmed with the enormity of the very real- problems and the pain that is happening in my life, in local communities, in this country and in the world, there's no faster way to temper that than just as a reminder that I am also very small in comparison to the universe. That does not make the problems less real, less needing to be addressed because they are important because we say they are important and that does not make them less so. (laughs) but the, this sense of scale and just being cradled along with every other atom in the universe, I find so deeply comforting.
1: Can I read a poem?
0: Yes, please.
1: <laughs> I don't actually know that this is a titled poem. It's by someone named, I believe Erin Hansen, and she just goes by E.H. You may not believe in magic, But don't you think it's strange the amount of matter in our universe has never slightly changed? That all which make your body was once part of something more, and every breath you ever breathe has seen it all before. There are countless scores of beauty in all the things that you despise. It could once have been a shooting star that now makes up your thighs, and atoms of forgotten life who've long since ceased to roam. May now have the great honor to call your crooked smile their home. You may not believe in magic, but I thought that you should know the makings of your heart were born 14 billion years ago. So, next time you feel lonely, when this world makes you feel small, just remember that it's part of you and you're part of it all. I get teary sometimes with that one. Yeah. I think it touches on my like fear of (laughs) death to mortality like this. Yes. This manifestation of atoms is impermanent as is every manifestation of atoms, but the essential pieces will endure somehow. And that feels like a connection to the future. It feels like a connection to our past. We could talk ancestral magic. Mm -hmm. That's something that I want to do more is bring My grandma's into my spell work with me Mm -hmm. I think they'd be down now that I think about them more (laughs) one was a staunch Catholic and one was pretty atheist but I think I think they'd be fine with it oh I love that so much thank
0: you for sharing that it's such a beautiful focus it feels like a good focus for the full moon once I realized that this was the night of the lunar eclipse, I think that my plan may end up changing and I may end up actually going outside for a little bit.
1: Can, can we talk about what you might do tonight, yeah. but also what you usually do?
0: Sure. One of the things that you and I have talked about a lot is this you know, this idea of being flexible with mm-hmm. our rituals. And I'm a very big believer in the practice should work for my life rather than trying to fit my life around a ritual. I don't think the other method is sustainable, especially not for myself. But I think that the magic and the rituals need to make sense in my day-to-day life. And I'm a big fan of small magic, of small rituals, of, you know, infusing to-do lists with magic, doing, you know, "Quote unquote mundane things and having that be infused with magic, and I think that ultimately it does come down to a sense of being present and connected. Usually, what I'll do for um, a moon ritual is maybe some sort of joyful or mindful movement. It just really depends on my energy level and how I'm feeling. If I need, if I'm wanting to feel more connected and in my body, I'll often will set up my a temporary working altar in front of me. I usually have one aspect of all of the elements represented so I can call upon them if I if I need to. I will often do some sort of meditation. If again if that feels right. It's I it took me a long time to reclaim meditation as something that was accessible for me partly as someone with chronic pain, partly as someone who is very anxious Uh, sometimes sitting still feels very threatening Mm -hmm. Uh, and so giving myself permission to move around even if that's just like rocking side to side or kind of like moving my torso in circles that felt very soothing so depending if i if i need movement in that meditation i'll move if i need stillness i'll be still sometimes i'll do some guided visualization work Um, i usually will do some sort of like countdown with my breath to get more into my body and sometimes that comes along with other visual different visualizations so if I'm needing to feel grounded this is like hopefully this isn't triggering to anybody but I will sometimes imagine myself being buried under the earth of like just like stuck in a hole and then like with each breath and each each exhale like more earth like falls onto me and kind of just like this like cradling safe cool space until I am you know immersed in the earth. And sometimes that's very, very comforting. Other times I'll imagine like stepping into a pool of water. Um, If I'm needing to evoke fire, I'll focus on that like flame in in the solar plexus. And then seeing where I go, I'll just try and be present and notice if there are certain colors or words or emotions that are bubbling up for me. Sometimes that works. Sometimes my mind cannot focus and I don't try and force myself. And I'll just let myself be in that space for a while. Sometimes I can get into a really nice, deep meditation that feels very relaxing and present. And then when I'm ready, I'll come out of that and then do, you know, usually it's like a, a three card tarot pull. I also, like you, really enjoy tarot as a as a journaling prompt. I'm not super big on divination. That's not really in my wheelhouse of values. But I love tarot as a way of reframing and refocusing. We know whatever randomness or intuition comes with pulling certain cards, of using that as an opportunity to think about something that's happening in my life, uh, potentially in a new creative way. Yeah, once I do my tarot pull and journaling, that's usually... It, I'll close out my altar and my space and, and put my elements and alter things away. So,
1: yeah, I think honestly, if anyone is listening to this and I am, I'm not far on my path of spell work and witchcraft, but if anyone is even a step or two behind where you and I are, I would say just keeping track of the lunar cycle is a really good place to start I disconnected with that for a Uh little while. I really think of witchcraft as a nature based religion, nature based spiritual practice. And so, bringing even just an awareness to like, when is the full moon? (laughs) When is Uh the new moon? Like, learning to look up at the sky and know, is this a waxy moon? Is it a waning moon? Like, I think there's an element of devotion that I like to bring. Maybe that's my like, and, and an element of sacrifice, like my background, sometimes, you know, I call myself a Catholic witch. Um, so I really do like that we have this very flexible kind of learn as you go, like make it work for you. Uh-huh. And it ties back really beautifully into our conversation at the beginning about like being comfortable with yourself and knowing yourself. And uh-huh. this can be. Not necessarily, like, a place where there's no entry point if you're not comfortable with yourself or if you don't know what you vibe with yet. This can be a place to explore that. But there's not, like, a one-size-fits-all here, and I really love that.
0: I I think for me, like, that green witch path of having something, having a practice and ritual base that's very individualized, I think for me at the core of that is curiosity. Yes exploring things that other folks have done always with uh, an awareness of what culture it's coming from Mm. (laughs) and, you know, recognizing our ancestral habit of just taking things, but also colonialism.
1: (laughs) Uh, woo!
0: But experimenting and trying out different things and making something your own and finding magic and ritual in different ways that work for you. It's similar to you. I, I really resonate with moon magic I think that honoring the new and full moons, especially, are really beautiful touch points for me. You know, whether or not you know my particular emotional or energetic cycles like match up with anything, they're just really helpful touch points for me to think. Okay, what have the what have the last two weeks ish been like yep. for me? You know, what's been what's been coming up? Uh, what are some patterns that I'm identifying? It's it's the simultaneous reaching outside of myself to pay attention to something happening in nature that happens with very predictable patterns, but then also mirroring that internally to see, okay, what, what patterns are coming up for me as well. So like an invitation to be reflective while also not being so self-focused that I'm losing touch with the patterns and the schedules and the routines and the rituals that are happening in nature around me. It's something that makes me feel connected on multiple levels.
1: Yeah, same.
0: Do you know what your intention is going to be for this particular full moon and for the next couple weeks?
1: Well, I think this idea of illumination is big to me. I am seeing some habits from myself that I lean into when I'm not doing as well behavioral things and I'm, I'm trying to let myself really see that and in the next two weeks as the moon wanes I'm hoping to tie my energy to that a little bit and let go of oh boy that's that's not good on a podcast probably <laughs> I do listen to one podcast where they don't edit any like background sound out. They just like roll with it. And I'm kind of like, you two are badass. <laughs> like. But to release either whatever's going on under the surface, eliciting those behaviors or, and, or the behaviors themselves. What about you?
0: I think for me, full moons, I tend to celebrate or focus on letting go, making space. Sometimes it doesn't work out that way. I'll just focus on whatever I need to focus on. But I think for me, it's a release of control. Mm. Um, release of control of the things around me uh, the creatures around me that they're just going to do what they need to do right now.
1: <laughs> Including um, my
0: dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, and that's what I'm thinking of in you know, with, with my new cat and you know, introducing introducing mm. him to the household cat, and you know, wanting to, of course, wanting to hold space as much as possible, but just that reminder that there are a lot of things outside of my control, and connection will not happen with me continuing to try and squeeze and control them.
1: Yeah, that's a perennial reminder for
0: me that's <laughs> <laughs> something I have to remind myself a lot especially because you know the control makes me feel safe and that
1: doesn't always serve me or the people around me when you think you've figured something out when you think you've got like a lesson down just live a little bit more yes
0: 100 <laughs> percent.
1: there it is again
0: I wanted to, before we hop off, I think that there was maybe a poem mm, that at felt
1: look at like... Look with spontaneous poetry reading.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right? What came to mind was one of the winter solstice poems that I wrote for last year. Belly softens, transmuting stone to moss. A release and opening gate steps to grassy knoll. Lay down, inhale the green wet with mist enclosing. Set free the brambles, unload the rocks and twine. Small deaths relinquish to soil and sky. Drifting fog takes them far away off to distant mountains. The earth spins, space expands without your grip and straining hold. Come to center, to spine and hips and heart. Release the rest, they do not belong to you.